Audacious Compassion, Episode 12. Your soul leaving your body. Toothpaste. Lemonade. Polka dots and stripes. You're a dark night. And I'm the day. We're a wreck and that's alright. Hello and welcome to Audacious Compassion a podcast where we explore how to find compassion in the most difficult places in daily life. I'm Melissa Avery Weir. And I'm Gregory Avery Weir. And today we'll be talking about being compassionate towards someone with hateful views. Don't worry, we're not going to say that the solution to bigotry is to understand the bigots. We want to focus more on your experience dealing with them. Uh, And if you're looking for general tips on empathizing with cruel people, check out episode 10, the why people do bad things thing. So, how have you been doing? I've been doing all right lately. I had a doctor's visit the other day, uh, and there weren't any hateful people there. (laughs) Well, that's good. But it was definitely a situation, well, not that I know of, Mm. but it was definitely a situation where I had a thing that I needed to do that was going to be hard. I don't like going to the doctor. It's not (laughs) as bad as the dentist, but I I don't know. I've got personal space issues, and I especially don't like giving blood. Yeah. Uh, Giving blood is a thing which, like... It's your soul leaving your body through well, the needle. Well, it's, it's more, it's more, I don't know, it's something about having a needle in me mm-hmm. which really bugs me. It's a thing which I feel like I have to do. Generally recommended. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good idea in certain ways, and it's probably more necessary than dealing with hateful people. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was tricky. Like, it's always tricky for me. It's sort of like, I can survive this. I can make it. Mm-hmm. I need to not faint while I'm in this chair. Oh, no. Everyone's very helpful and, and all that, but it's, I don't know, it's nerve-wracking. So that was that was a challenge that I ran into recently. It's, it seems like a like one of those things that would have lingering stress effects, right? Like you, you're, you're worked up going in and then you're slow to release that stress afterwards. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it helped that I got pills for anxiety shortly <laughs> afterwards. So, you know, that, that helped mitigate those those effects. Um but uh but yeah, it's it it definitely was the the central event of my week. Yeah. Yeah. So how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing alright. Uh folks may have seen on Twitter I'm recovering from strep throat. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be cutting a few coughs out of the episode. More than a few, probably. But generally doing fine. I've had some uh, interesting workplace jokes recently that have been, like, I don't know how to handle them or what to say. You told me a little bit about this. What's what's the situation? So, it's a, it was, two people always rib each other at the office. Like, that's just their dynamic. Uh, they seem to, to love each other very much. But one of the times where someone was being ribbed, it became about transitioning topics and about how this person was in transition. And this actually, this whole setup has happened twice now. Um, and Where the joke is transitioning is a thing that trans people do. Except, yeah. But none of the people involved are trans, that, presumably? That I know of. No one said trans people, but in what other context is transition an interesting topic, right? I don't know. I, part of me is like... Don't read too much into it. Another part of me is like, it wasn't hateful in a way that there was nothing that's like, don't tell anyone you're transitioning. Like, there wasn't anything that, that smacked of like a transphobia where I would yeah, say, Yeah, but hey. like, if it's supposed to be a joke, what is the joke except that be 
the fact that trans people exist is funny. Right. Um, and so I wasn't sure what to say. And so I gave uh, one of the bosses who was observing the conversation an uncomfortable look, which he clearly saw. And then I sat down and excluded myself from the conversation. So yeah, that, that's just an awkward situation that I'm not sure how to handle. This is an office where there's a person who uses the R slur, um, kind of on the regular. So your standards are already a little low when evaluating. Right. Like Anyway, yes, that that's a strange, uncomfortable thing. And I'm not sure how I would put my foot down in a way that wasn't... I don't know. I don't know how yeah, to put it's one of the down. situations where, where if you said something, they, they could easily be like, what? No, that's not what we meant. Right. But I totally... If I could figure out how, I totally would. <laughs> so, that's that's me. Weird. So, we got an anonymous prompt this month. Speaking of dealing with hateful people. Mm-hmm. Or people with hateful views. And it is, how about compassion for someone with very different and opposite worldviews? For example, I have an Islamophobic co-worker. I know this person is going through some really tough stuff. But my only strategy has been to just ignore the hateful stuff so we can keep a civil working relationship. That's not ideal. Hmm. Yeah. So, Islamophobia. So this person is apparently exhibiting signs of being hateful towards Muslim people. Right. And I guess assume for the sake of discussion that, like, cutting them off and leaving jobs or getting them fired or something is not an option. Yeah, right? Like, probably not. So, so if you want to stay working at the same place as this person, ugh. Right. And there's always something, right? There's always going to be either that colleague who drops the R word or someone who thinks that people should be allowed to bring guns in the office, right? There's always going to be someone that you're going to be like, boy, that's awful. And they may be thinking the same about you, right? Just up and leaving is not, uh, not a viable solution for workplace things, I don't think. So you're not ignoring this, right? Like, it's obviously bugging you, so you're not ignoring it. You might be pretending to ignore it. Right, your behavior is ignoring it. Yeah, but it's clear that there's some stuff that you're having trouble with. And it seems like you've recognized that they're maybe exhibiting this hateful behavior because of some stuff in their life. And that also doesn't seem to be what you're having trouble with. It's just, how do you deal like how do you live knowing that you are choosing to be courteous to this person who's being hateful right there are people who separate work from personal life um although it sounds like if you know they're islamophobic that they might not (laughs) be doing that yeah um where you some people you know can kind of compartmentalize and say these are the these are the work things this is the personal stuff consider the personal stuff to in the garbage but keep the work yeah. stuff fine um and i mean can come to a place where that doesn't bother them if this person is in a position to be hurting people or exhibiting bias or something like that mm-hmm. that is a thing where you should go through the proper procedures for highlighting this this issue definitely if this person is in a position of power has direct reports has any kind of hiring influence that kind of islamophobia or any sort of openly hateful behavior i think is worth letting the company know that that is who is you know like they have someone in power doing that and maybe the company says oh that's fine we separate personal from business 
But that that's on them, right? Right, and it might mean warning people or whatever. But assuming that that's not the case and that you take care of that as necessary, this might be one of those areas where you just think of what you need from this person. Like, what's the bare minimum this um. person provides you? Almost, I, I don't want to say treat them as an object, but unless this person, like, shares a cubicle with you... <laughs> You probably don't actually need to interact with them more than a certain very small amount. It depends on the size of the office. Like, if you work in a small enough team or environment, like, you can't not rub elbows with people multiple times a day. Like, you just, without it being very obvious, you're giving the cold shoulder. Giving the cold shoulder is okay. It's not great for the team culture. No, but, I mean, neither is having a hateful person on the team, like... But, so giving the cold shoulder doesn't fix the problem. So if, so if the culture is bad due to Islamophobia... Giving the cold shoulder worsens the culture further and does not solve the problem of... It just adds another problem onto it. Right. Hmm. But just being civil about it can feel like you're sponsoring it. Yeah, I would say it seems like an implicit acceptance because if someone else is seeing a problem with that or someone else is influenced by that Islamophobia, like they do have direct reports or something, Mm -hmm. it's possible that other people will think that you are totally fine with that behavior and will see you as a potential ally of the Islamophobe, when in Mm. fact you might be able to help them um, avoid or or be safe from that behavior. But, like, is the alternative talking loudly about how cool Muslim people are? Like, (laughs) is it... Hmm. I mean, assuming assuming that the person giving the prompt isn't Muslim. Hmm. Yeah. Like, if, if you are Muslim, then, I don't know, just... Being visible and and being awesome will help. If you are Muslim and you have a colleague that is openly within hearing expressing that, that Islam, you know, yeah, that's that's that is definitely a <laughs> that's a take your go to HR <laughs> or equivalent. That's a that's a hostile workplace, and it's weird that it's not as hostile if you're not a member of that group. But yes, you were saying assuming that this person is not Muslim. Yeah, so assuming you're not Muslim, it seems like the the, the one way to balance this and make yourself feel better about being civil towards this person is to be vocal about your support for muslim people but as a non-muslim that can come across as weird and and like yeah i don't know the person that gets into someone else's culture to a odd extent right and so so right so that's easier if if the way in which these islamophobia is coming up is talking about trump's travel ban Right? That's something that's a very... You can be vocally against the travel ban, and that can fit into conversations right. naturally, and not be like, I'm really interested in the United Arab Emirates for, for yeah. some strange reason. <laughs> so, what if you think of this as... This is this is a bit odd. You are kind of putting these this civility on your balance sheet as stuff where it's like this this feels bad about this feels bad to me to be civil to this person who is hateful mm-hmm. who's being hateful can you balance those items with stuff you do to support this group so like can you attend the events for muslim people at your workplace can you like you mm-hmm. know the ones in which allies are welcome can you donate so- to a thing can you is this like a carbon credit of? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a like an like a an ethical carbon credit. Does that work? 
I don't know. Like it, it might. I mean, if if the problem is it makes me feel bad to be polite to this person that I know has these views, mm-hmm. it might make you feel better about it if you think, yeah, but I did this thing. Like, I donated to these people. Yeah, and if you are participating in public, like like you said, if there's if there are work events that are in support of uh, Muslims or in, in support of various groups. Nationalities or whatever that, that are probably lumped together in this person's head. Right. You openly participating in those is a very big statement. I think... That is an interestingly sly way to shift the power dynamic there. If someone's grumbling in the office about something, but you're standing up and doing some work to improve the world. Yeah. As long as you're interacting with that in a way that the Muslim people are comfortable with you doing it. Like, you don't want to be like, hey... I want to do something for you. Come up with something for me to do. I want to, to be an ally now. Right. Like, that's not a great thing no. to do. That makes it about you. Right. To a certain extent, that is kind of about the performative piece of what's happening here. Performative as in things you do or as in putting on a performance? Putting on a performance. Like, at the way I have had, the way I just looked at that was mm-hmm. someone is performing Islamophobia Mm-hmm. You are going to perform support and allyship. Yeah. Um, and that's the balance sheet idea, maybe. Um, but yeah, the other half of that is, are they, what are they doing? Uh, rather than what are they displaying, how are they secretly exhibiting their... Right. And that doesn't necessarily change your internal state either. How you feel about dealing with that person, what you're going to be getting from this balance sheet is vindication or something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's and that's not that's it not can, the same. That as... can feel a little toxic. Right. It's not that you feel better about the way you act towards this person. It's that you have a comfort that you can rely on yes. when you feel bad about acting that way towards this person. Yes, but at least I blank blank yeah. blank. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a possible solution. I mean, at the, one, perhaps you should be participating in these groups anyway. Two, there's something to be said for that comfort. But maybe the, maybe the issue here is also one of self empathy and self compassion, right? Like you, mm. they're feeling yeah. bad for being nice to this person. As as weird as it sounds, being nice to someone is virtually always better than being cruel. Yes. Like, there's a difference between kindness and civility. I think we've talked about this before. Yes. Where or, you can... Or politeness and... Yeah. Yeah. Like, politeness and civility is about not making a fuss. Mm-hmm. Kindness is about not being cruel. And I think that being kind to this person is just good. Like... Right. Just don't don't be cruel to anyone. Right. No, regardless of how hateful their views are. hmm You can be civil if it serves your needs... Like, if you need to keep your job, and part of your keeping your job is being civil to this person, you are doing this thing to protect yourself. Right. So there's probably something about it that you can examine to figure out why it makes you feel bad. Go, going a lower level then, this, this enables me to keep my job. Mm-hmm. Thinking about what is fulfilled, what needs are fulfilled by maintaining civility. This goes down to, perhaps, you want a certain work environment. Mm-hmm. 
That is the reason you're being, you're even bothering. You could give the cold shoulder. Why are you not giving yeah. the cold? You're giving. You're, you might be being civil because you don't want to work in a place where people are sniping at each other. Right. Or maybe you don't have a good personality for that. Like maybe you don't have the the emotional stamina to maintain a hostile mm, <laughs> interface yeah. with someone for day after day. Not everybody does. Um, some of us do. <laughs> <laughs> But I think you can dig down even deeper than that. And instead of looking at the balance sheet, quote unquote, as the sort of high level being civil versus helping people, you've got a bunch of needs concerning your workplace. One of them might be authenticity here, Mm -hmm. right? Not having to hide the way you feel about this hate. Right. Um, A need for peace, a need for some sort of stress management around the situation right yeah. like you only won't work to take up so much of your of your emotional energy in a that's day. it's core that's a need for health right that's right. that's i don't i don't want to be stressed all the time exactly so whatever those are for yourself it's worth examining and looking at what the feeling of consternation is coming from mm-hmm. and then what the, the the action of being civil, what that is stemming from. Like, mm-hmm. breaking that down for yourself, and there, look at a balance sheet. Yeah. Like, no job meets everyone's needs, no environment meets everyone's needs, but, like, laying it all out at a very low level, you kind of see things grouped. You kind of start to see, like, okay, so maybe here are some lower-level strategies I can do, or some... Some ways I can reframe the situation. Yeah, the difficulty you're having is an indicator from your body and your mind that something is wrong. Right. And you can probably figure out what it is that you want instead. Right. If you listen hard. Right. And the wanting probably shouldn't be, I usually don't say should, I don't Mm -hmm. think, problem shouldn't be for the, the other person to not be islamophobic anymore <laughs> yeah that's 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 something that at least in the short term you get to accept right like you you if you want to try and change them go ahead that's going to be a long road yep but in the meantime you have to learn to live with it yep and that doesn't mean you roll over and let them hurt people right yes if there's I think if there's if people are being hurt, if there's a decent possibility of people being influenced, um, and I think I've talked about sort of um, working with people who are very bad at medicine, <laughs> mm, yeah, um, and believe energy stuff um, and crystals and things that cost a lot of money yeah. and take a lot of time, um, where it has become worthwhile. It became worthwhile a couple of times for me to say that's not a thing, like fluoride is stop that like <laughs> fluoride is fine fluoride, fluoride is, is good for the teeth right and that was for there to be another voice mm. saying something different. that i think that's a slightly different case than that internal resolution on what your needs are yeah i think that leads us well into sort of reviewing our discussion over this so we the the first thing was make sure no one's hurt yep and then i guess our final conclusion is examine why you're feeling this way yeah and it might be that what you need is to know that you are doing something to kind of balance that out. Right. But if that feels more like vindication and and sort of getting revenge for this hate mm-hmm. instead of actually, like, dealing with it, then it might be something else. Right. It might be just reasserting to yourself that you are not like this person. 
Yeah. In that your colleagues are probably not like this person. Like, you are not alone in a sea of hostility. Mm-hmm. It can help to, like, if, if you're if you're thinking about how to kind of drill down into these, what your needs are and what this conflict is within yourself, coming up with two or three specific instances. Like, when Billy yeah. Bob said X, I felt blank. Like, getting these yeah. very observable things that fired you up. Like, that made you, like put the headphones on or whatever and like and it might even be i saw them walking down the hallway mm-hmm. and remembered they did this right. and felt this way like it it might be that the problem isn't as much the original thing as being reminded of it yeah. and that's a separate instance to examine exactly um and you know i don't i don't like having a memory of bad things in a way that lets you fixate on them yeah right like that I think is unhealthy. So if you're like, like I see his ugly face, and then I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, right. <laughs> so I think that's not good. But having a couple of those in mind really does help with that kind of mm-hmm. that process. You can yeah. say, here's how I felt. This is how my body felt. And then afterwards, remember, you can accept the way this person is, and you can let go of that resentment mm-hmm. without endorsing them and without ignoring the problem right you don't need to let it gnaw at you right um you can't change them not in any way that is possible to measure and do yeah like over over time you might help them change themselves maybe but that's a separate thing right and it and if they don't change it's not your fault right you must accept them as they are you might as well not sit around and have high blood pressure about it yeah so that's a that was a heavy chat. It was. What have you been inspired by lately, Lisa? So I've mentioned before that I'm learning some Russian, mm-hmm. and I it's been a, a couple months now. I've I've learned some verb tenses and some adjectives and all the ways in which adjectives can change. Um, Complicated language. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's not like if I knew German, I think Russian would come more easily. Are they related? N- no, but they have they. They inflect and change their adjectives and nouns more than we do. Okay. So there's just kind of tables of things to remember (laughs) or not remember in my case. What I'm finding is I'm kind of at this point where my progress is slowing. Hmm. Where before I was like, oh yeah, I'm picking up this vocabulary. You know, Duolingo's like, oh, you've learned 885 words. I'm like, cool. Um, But can I use any of these adjectives in a sentence? And can I say any of them? Probably not. Duolingo's not great for speech. What this has been kind of inspiring me to do is to is to push in different ways. So I've been working using Duolingo and some flashcards to help with vocabulary. And I'm at the point now where I should be able to start reading a novel or read more news in Russian. Um, but my vocabulary is tiny. Like, mm-hmm. like a, less than a thousand words is like a minuscule. Um, you would start an article and have to look up a word in every sentence more than one word every sentence um and then in the novel is uh going one paragraph at a time mm. it is a very slow going process um and i'm not sure how much i'm going to retain like there's all sorts of stuff yeah. going on there um which is maybe fine it's got me thinking about the cultural aspects of learning a language mm. so duolingo does not introduce culture explicitly okay there's 
stuff you twig onto if you are interested in linguistics. Where you're like, these two words are similar, and that's odd. Yeah, and like, flexibility of word order. And what kinds of sounds get dropped from words. Or what kinds of, like, the history of a language. Like, there are some some ways you pronounce some things are just holdovers and don't actually match what the letters are. Hmm. Um, so there's, like, really subtle stuff you can pick up there. Um, but that's not the same as the regionality of Russia. Like, Russia is such a huge place, right? Like, yeah. how is Russian different in Moscow than somewhere on the East Coast? As I'm picking up this novel, which is a science fiction novel, it's a, it's a, a fairly famous series, it's a sci-fi series that was written um, in the Soviet era, I find myself wondering, like, how much am I going to encounter here that is going to make no sense because mm. I don't have the cultural context of what's going on. Um, How much of it is, will you recognize that what is supposed to be weird and what is supposed to be normal? Exactly. Um, especially having never lived in a communist regime. Yeah. Um, like, what is the, what is a, this is literally a futuristic sci-fi kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's what, what will the world be in X number of years? So anyway, when I tell people I'm learning Russian, they have different interesting responses based on their perception of Russia. Someone told me, uh, you'll, well, you'll at least be prepared for our overlords. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, all right. Um, but not too worried about the U.S. getting conquered by Russia anytime soon. Not particularly. Um, but there's, there's just interesting cultural stuff that I'm not even sure how to learn because that's not the way in which I'm learning the language. Like if I were in a classroom, mm-hmm. there would be all sorts of... And here's an example of this. Like, they were, you would be given all these con- yeah. contextual things. And instead, I'm reading BBC's Russian news section. Because mm-hmm. um, Russian news sites, let me tell you. Um, but maybe I should be reading those, right? Like, I don't know. Like, there's just all sorts of things like this. And when I think about, like, not, <laughs> not that Russia has hateful views in a, as a culture that I... Well, they do. I mean, yeah, every, every culture does. Every, every culture and does. And they have their own unique ones. Right. But what are those? How do I suss those out? Like, I'm interested mm-hmm. in learning these things now that I'm I'm getting more of a sense of the language. So it's been inspiring. Like, whereas I'm struggling a lot with grammar and retaining vocabulary, like how many words can I remember? Turns out about a thousand is about mm-hmm. where I'm sitting and struggling. So that's encouraging me to branch out and learn um, in some broader ways. Uh, so yeah. that's very inspiring. Might be that you are learning a bunch of things broadly and so you're not it doesn't feel like you're making as much velocity when in fact you're just spreading out rather than growing up right yep yep so what have you been inspired by well i've been watching a lot of one piece oh lordy <laughs> this is an anime uh it is one of the longest running uh animated shows ever longer than um, naruto longer than naruto it is is what? uh over 700 episodes uh, it's recently celebrated a 20-year anniversary, I think, from the start of the manga. Oh. It's it's a superhero pirate show. So it's mm-hmm. it's world of pirates. People have some magic powers, some, like, just virtually magic powers. You know, someone <laughs> who can kick so good they can fly by kicking the air. Like, that level of, of silly uh, adventure anime. So anime. Okay. Uh, and I watched maybe four or five hundred episodes of it years ago (laughs) and recently have caught up just sort of like i'm glad you have recognized the absurdity of the first yes yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but it's it it, 
because it's a show for children and because it like spends a lot of time recapping and and flashing back and so on i've been able to just kind of have it on in the background and glance over to it occasionally as i'm like doing other stuff Mm -hmm. um or in some parts like oh this plot line is stretching on i'm gonna just read a summary of it and Mm -hmm. learn all the important stuff and just skip it because screw it yeah but i am almost caught up like i am in it is it's july of 2017 in real life and i'm watching episodes from june or july of 2017 oh my god Um, what are you gonna do are you gonna wander off for a few years after you catch up possibly i don't know it's a weird show because in a lot of ways it is it expresses very good values that align with mine like it's very iconoclastic like almost all the plot lines are about there any power structure has corruption in it and with our freedom and our belief in other people and our empathy for people's problems we'll fight for the underdog and we will take people down and there are good people in authority as well who we can use as allies but there are also a lot of of bad folks in charge yeah and so that's that's all cool but one thing that's been really bugging me is that some of its attitudes towards queer and trans people are really bad um and i mean there's there's a certain amount that that you need to understand other cultures treat things differently queer stuff in japan is different than queer stuff in america they have different views on gender different views on what it means to be queer on what's acceptable and so on but this goes beyond that this is like there is an an island where a lot of the what we would call trans women go where they're presented as men in dresses who are really sexually predatory and are ugly and a character like literally refers to his memories of that place as being memories of hell um but yeah i mean it's it's really bad but on the other hand there's like a character uh okama is the is the term that's that's often used which i think is a reasonably acceptable term for queer person okay um or queer male assigned at birth person oh okay there is there's an okama character who is heroic like his he's still kind of like every character in this show has something weird about them Mm -hmm. and his weird thing is he's this really effeminate queer person Mm -hmm. and people react to him being like "Oh, oh can you cut that out and so on but the way that the show presents him outside of the way the characters react is as this really heroic character who doesn't really care what other people think of him and who's going to express himself well and who's going to be heroic and kind of take advantage of the way that society perceives him in order to achieve his goals and that's that's all really cool yeah and if 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 the presentation of that character was the worst thing in the show i would be like great this is this is a a queer icon but knowing that it also exists in the context of this other stuff that happens in the show and the show has you know it presents uh women characters as incredibly sexualized and all sorts of other other problems and so it's it's one of those shows where i kind of am like I am getting a lot of value out of a lot of this show. Like, it's fun, it's cool, it's schmaltzy in a way that makes me go, <laughs> oh, no, that character, oh, they had such a rough time, I, I love them so much. And so I kind of put up with the crappy stuff. Yeah. And it feels different from, like, some creators are hateful enough 
that I, I don't want to support them. Right. This doesn't feel like it crosses that line for me. Okay. In part because I feel like it's gotten better. Like, a lot of that stuff doesn't... A lot of the hateful stuff doesn't get flashed back to anymore. Okay. And I don't know if they learned a lesson or if it's just been long enough that they're not bothering. Are you tempted to find out? Like, to do research? I've read a little bit of mostly, like, feminist folks talking about the show mm-hmm. and haven't seen it mentioned there. Okay. Um, so I suspect there's not much yeah. out on it. But again, I mean, I'm reading mostly American or, or European people talking about this. So there's several steps <laughs> removed. Right. But yeah, that's been a complicated thing. But I don't know. The, the show is inspiring. It is fun and loving and adventurous most of the time yeah yep and 10 percent of the time it's like uh uh, i don't know and then two percent of the time it's i'm going to skip past this part yeah it's one of those things Um, that makes it hard to recommend a show yeah i I would i would not recommend it to people but i would share clips from it and have (laughs) shared clips from it they're like this is a cool bit yeah heads up if you start watching it right about 600 episodes in there's this really hateful part yeah so today we've talked about being compassionate towards someone with um, hateful views. So we that's a that's a hard thing to do. It is. it is tricky to live with yourself while accepting that there's someone around you that's being awful. Right. That you are not necessarily actively stopping from that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a colleague with a very loud voice uh, mm-hmm. who is sort of. I wouldn't say he's my opposite, but he's, uh, he reads Fox News, mm-hmm. or I read the Washington Post. I mm-hmm. think that's, that might be a fair summary. Sometimes he opens his mouth and pontificates about something, and he, he says things that are sound bites, mm-hmm. um, and that lack nuance, most importantly. And sometimes, often, when it's, when it's something where I'm like, I, I know the answer to this, like I know the, the full, I've, I'm interested in the full situation, I've, I've uh, learned that. I'll just sort of casually say, well, there's a lot more factors there, blankety blank. And we're just having a conversation, but we're having this conversation standing in the middle of the office. And Mm -hmm. his voice is loud. (laughs) And I've had a few people, well, some people complain that there are personal conversations happening in the office. But I've had a few people say, that's a really good, subtle way. He's listening to you. And even if he's going to continue to read Fox News... You are reminding him that life is complicated. Mm, yeah. And I'm not arguing. We're not going toe-to-toe about Hillary Clinton's emails. Like, you know, like, it's not that. It's, hey, the intelligence community is not dumb, right? Like, it's just pointing out that it's not. You can't just talk about the world in simple statements and have that mean anything. Yeah, there is value in just being a person who recognizes what is going on and is something else right i don't know if that's a tactic that's applicable here for this person but that kind of soft approach like other people in the office knowing that this voice even though it physically dominates literally physically like is Mm -hmm. the loudest thing (laughs) it's very loud uh is not the only voice yeah and that i won't be silenced i think that about sums it up Well, thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for talking to me. And thank you all for listening. This has been Audacious Compassion. 
If you have a question or a prompt for discussion, please submit it to us at averyweir.net. That's A-V-E-R-Y-W-E-I-R.net. You can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at AudaciousCast, and we'd greatly appreciate likes and follows. Please take a moment to rate us on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Your sharing is the best way for us to expand our audience. I'm Melissa Avery Weir, and I can be found on Twitter at AveryMD. I'm Gregory Avery Weir, and I can be found on Twitter at Gregory Weir. And together, we run a video game studio called Futureproof Games, which you can visit at futureproofgames.com. Our theme music is Invisible Light by Josh Woodward, available under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. Talk to you later. Welcome to Audacious Compassion. <laughs> <God damn. laughs> oh no! Off to a good start. <laughs> Already got the end of our episode. No.